KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. We all know we should eat right, but it's hard. There are so many obstacles that stand in the way, like access to good food, the urge and temptation to snack on junk, genetics. The stakes are serious, like increased weight and the stigmas that come with it. As a society, we generally look at somebody's weight status as something that is entirely within their control. We've perceived that if somebody is of a higher body weight, then they're not doing their due diligence to manage their body weight. Rebecca Schenkman and her colleague Tracy Oliver at the Villanova College of Nursing specialize in diet and nutrition. They spend a lot of time thinking about what options there are for people to lead healthier lives like new obesity meds. It's a tool. It is not a silver bullet. They do have their side effects and those side effects cannot be ignored. It's a great conversation for many patients to be having with their health professionals should they be a candidate for them. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, dispelling some misconceptions about diet and nutrition and strategies that you or someone you care about can use to try to change bad habits. Rebecca, when we're talking about the concept of dieting, for the most part, what do we get right and what do we get wrong? I think that is a great and loaded question. Over the years, dieting and the thinking about dieting has evolved and the field of nutrition is always evolving. So it is very hard, you know, when you're talking about uh, dieting to kind of have like a one size fits all for everyone. I think with the um, onset of all these like anti-obesity medications and a little bit of a mindset talking about mental health, there is becoming a more comprehensive approach to wellness that like does acknowledge all these interconnectedness of these physical and mental and like social health. And I think, so we're in the right direction, but I think when we typically think about dieting in the past, we weren't considering all these factors and how, and it's really important to just know that everyone is unique and individual and requires that like personalized approach And I'm hoping we're beginning to like lean more towards that. Tracy, I'm curious for your thoughts on that as well. Yeah. So I think one of the things that we get right in terms of dieting is someone's desire to improve their eating habits, right? That's never a bad thing. So I think if somebody is following an approach to modify their eating habits and they're incorporating more fruits and vegetables, I think there's many things, many aspects of that that have a wonderful benefit. I think some of the pitfalls or shortcomings of diets, I think all too often people focus on what to cut out and it becomes a restrictive approach. And I don't always think that that is a sustainable approach. So I think whenever we look at uh, a dieting, you know, a new diet pattern, we have to think about what can be added to the diet for overall health benefits, but also not being too restrictive because quite frankly, it's just never sustainable. And then then people feel they've fallen off their diet. There are so many like false narratives about what makes for a good diet or what's nutritious and what is in frozen food versus fresh, for example. What should we be focusing on? There are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to what we get right and what we get wrong. And that fresh versus frozen misconception is always there, right? We automatically equate something fresh with being more nutritious. 
And that's really not the not the case. Like frozen produce is harvested at like its peak ripeness, flash frozen to preserve its flavor. So um, and it's really versatile. You can use it, buy it and save it for lots of different types of recipes. It's, you know, a cost effective way for shopping and it's available year round, whereas sometimes a lot of, you know, fresh produce isn't available year round in, you know, your local grocery store. I know where we live, like, you know, the price of berries and strawberries is astronomical and sometimes you can't even find them, but most likely you could probably find them in the frozen section. So just kind of having those mind shifts when you're thinking like um, is really important so you can kind of embrace a healthier lifestyle in general and not be so pigeonholed into, you know, thinking what you're told to, to, to think. I'd like to talk to each of you, get each of your thoughts on these weight loss drugs and obviously diet and exercise would have to go along with it, but get your thoughts on these, the impact they're having and are they as much of a silver bullet as some people make them out to be? Rebecca, I'll start with you. It is, you know, crazy um, with what's been going on in the anti-IBC medication world this past year you know, but the availability has really underscored this concept of obesity as a medical condition. And rather than simply an issue of, you know, willpower, willpower, responsibility, many of these medications target those, you know, biological factors that influence appetite, metabolism, um, and energy balance. So when prescribed and taken correctly, they can be like this critical turning point for a lot of individuals who who need it and um, who have struggled with weight for their for their entire life, and it also kind of this shift reduces. Well, we hope it can reduce like the stigma and pr- promote really a more compassionate and comprehensive approach to weight management that really leads to a better understanding of those physiological aspects of weight re- regulation, acknowledging the factors beyond behavior that really play a role in obesity. I think it's just always important to remember, uh, and that I think this is kind of like one of those talking points, but it should be a tool that's used, you know, with eating healthy and uh, moving your body. And I think what's also important is that a lot of these medications, um, you have to stay on long term. So it's not something and it shouldn't be used unless, you know, you talk to your doctor and that's between you and your doctor, but it's supposed to be something you're on forever. Because a lot of times when people stop these medications, you know, they see some of the weight slowly starting to come back on. So I think it's very important when someone's considering being on these medications that they have a very honest conversation with their provider about the risks, the benefits, what it means for me long term. Like, what are the risk factors? If something's going on, should I stop? And really understanding that, like everything, it's not a magic bullet. It has to be used in conjunction with a healthy lifestyle and these long-term sustainable approaches. So I, I'm really hoping with these medications, that is part of that conversation. Because I think in the past, medications were seen as this like silver bullet that you can just take and be done with. But I think at least the conversation now is saying is really talking about um, the health benefits and then really being on them long term. So having people really under trying to understand what it means when you go on these medications. Yes. And I, I love the fact that Rebecca called it a tool because I, I do think that's essentially what it is. Um, if we look at different courses of 
weight management, you know, we can think of different scales or different levels of intervention. And, you know, diet and lifestyle is always the first tier. And for many people, that is just not effective long term. Um, People have tried various diet approaches and have, you know, been unsuccessful time and time again. And then if we even look at bariatric surgery, that's a pretty invasive option. And many people are just not in a position where they're interested in even exploring that option. I think that if we look at obesity medications, it really is an opportunity to combat obesity, as well as mitigate the effects of various chronic diseases that somebody else might subsequently be suffering from, such as type 2 diabetes or high blood pressure, which is putting their overall health at risk. So I think if that tool is helping them get in a better place in terms of their overall health, there there certainly are advantages. And like Rebecca said, it's a tool. It is not a silver bullet. They do have their side effects and those side effects cannot be ignored. But again, I think it's a it's a great conversation for many patients to be having with their health professionals should they be a candidate for them. When we talk about obesity, one of the other things in reading up for this that I became fascinated with was the idea of weight bias and specifically weight bias in the healthcare field when it came to you know, how people were looked at. Tracy, kind of, I think it speaks for itself, like it's kind of self-explanatory weight bias, but kind of define it and how big a problem is this, you know, in care industries and who gets hurt? Yeah, this is an area that is near and dear to our hearts. And it's something that we teach the nursing students at Villanova semester after semester to increase their just awareness that weight bias exists. So essentially, weight bias is assigning, if you will, negative attributes to someone simply because of their weight status. So some of those negative attributes that are are generally associated with somebody of a higher body weight are that individual is lazy, sloppy, unorganized, you know, unsuccessful. And obviously, those negative attributes follow individuals through all facets of life. You know, we see school bullying because of higher body weight. So educational settings, people are looked over for job promotions, often because of their body weight. We see, you know, the media, the way in which they portray individuals of a higher body weight. And then Unfortunately, it does carry over to healthcare, and that is really where we spend a lot of our time, efforts, and energy working with Villanova nursing students to combat. Essentially, you can think of it if somebody's coming into, let's just go over an obesity statistic first, right? So if we look at our our nation, essentially seven out of every 10 individuals is of a higher body weight. So either living with overweight or obesity. So seven of 10 patients walking into a hospital is of a higher body weight. And we know from the data that 60% of these individuals roughly are experiencing weight bias in various avenues of their life. We also know that the higher their body weight is, the more likely they are to be the recipient of discrimination. And the way this sort of materializes in healthcare is often patients are not heard. They're often looked over when they're complaining about various symptoms all too often their providers will simply say to the person, well, you just have to lose weight and that back pain will go away or that cough will go away or whatever the issue or ailment. And unfortunately, the literature suggests they're not being sent for further testing. Medical procedures are not occurring. And these individuals are often overlooked when they have various diagnoses. 
More importantly, too, when an individual experiences a feeling of discrimination when they've come to the provider, they don't want to come back for medical visits. So then there's the delay in just preventative health care and just all health care. And if they are suffering from different chronic conditions, those chronic conditions are only worsening because they're not receiving their routine medical care. Rebecca, I mean, weight bias in any setting is obviously wrong and hurtful, but I would think, especially when it comes to in healthcare, it is especially bad just because people are vulnerable and they're, they're specifically in an environment where they want help, where they want, you know, they need to be heard. It really would seems like it could do even more damage than in a lot of other settings. Sure. To, you know, echo what Tracy was saying, you know, they're, they're coming there for health because, or, you know, preventive health or, you know, seeking medical care and they want to be heard. They want to have that time with their provider to explain what's going on and not have a provider have these preconceived notions of everything, you know, that you're complaining about is related to your weight. You know, it really runs the the gamut, you know, uh, even dietitians, you know, um, like when surveys are done, like we're all healthcare professionals are all prone to having these, you know, to harboring some weight bias, even if you uh, realize it or not. So it's so important as a provider to be aware of your own feelings and maybe some biases you have, you know, really reflect on on what that means because you are there to to listen, to be an empathetic provider who's offering this patient-centered care and you really are there to to help them and if they feel like they are being stigmatized in in your presence, like they as we said, they're less likely to come back and less likely to get future care and then their health just worsens. So it really perpetuates a, like a vicious cycle. And that is really why this topic is so near and dear to our hearts because being located in the College of Nursing where we have the ability to teach and impact, you know, future healthcare professionals um, in these nursing students and graduate students, they really are like nurses are really this like frontline, you know, for so many patients where if they can be an advocate for patients, any body size, then that will really set the stage for patients to feel more comfortable in receiving care. So I wanted to also add, I, I don't think I necessarily defined this when I was talking about weight bias, but I think it's an important point. As a society, we generally look at somebody's weight status as something that is entirely within their control. So we value, if you will, as a society, that if somebody is achieving a normal weight, that they've worked very hard for that. And we've we've perceived that if somebody is of a higher body weight, then they're not doing their due diligence to manage their body weight. That it's something that we perceive is they've failed at, or we blame them for not being able to control their body weight. It's viewed as sort of a blameworthy condition. And that's really where the stigma comes from. So, you know, as a society, we sort of look at, well, you haven't done enough physical activity or eaten properly. So this is the result of that. And again, when we know the complexity of obesity, we know that this is far from the truth, but that really is where some of that harbored stigma or some of those, you know, sort of gut reactions that people have are kind of coming from. 
We need to take a break. We will have more with Rebecca Shankman and Tracy Oliver on KYW News Radio In-Depth in just a moment. But right now, there's nothing quite like the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid when it comes to exhilarating efficiency. With hybrid technology and thrilling capability, these vehicles deliver an electrifying performance on every drive. This new year, discover for yourself what truly makes these hybrids special. Redefine your driving experience with Honda. KBB.com best value brand of 2023 contact your local honda dealer today about the honda accord hybrid and the crv hybrid now let's return to our conversation with rebecca shankman and tracy oliver of villanova university we are recording this in early to mid-january and this is I mean, most people's resolutions have already gone out the window by now, but it is a time of year when a lot of people are trying to maybe make some changes, you know, fresh start. Given all that we've talked about, you know, and and focusing kind of on the diet and the way we think of food, can you give a couple of things you would tell people that want to make some changes to try to eat healthier, be more mindful of what they're eating, why they're eating it? Tracy, I'll start with you. Just kind of help guide people if they do want to try to make some of these changes. Yeah. One of the phrases I love to use in the classroom with my you know, college students is looking at food as a way to really nourish your body. And I love to use that word, nourish your body. So whenever anybody's thinking about making changes to their diet, it's not necessarily about adding or subtracting, but really thinking about the value of each food and how it fits into your diet. You know, and, you know, we kind of go through what are we eating? What are we not eating? What could we add? And really with that mindset of, is it nourishing your body? You know, we could look at snack foods and things. Are they nourishing your body? There's probably nothing wrong with them, all of them, but is it the best way to nourish your body? So I think with that sort of stems the idea of take a, take a summary of what you're eating on a day-to-day basis. What could you improve upon and really think about making small, sustainable changes. We don't need to revamp everything. We don't need to start from scratch. Making small, sustainable changes. And again, really thinking about what value does each food component that you currently have in your diet add? And if it's not providing much nutritional value, what could you easily substitute so that it is providing you a little bit more bang for your buck or a little bit more nourishment through that food choice? Rebecca? Yeah, really to add to what Tracy was saying, you know, aiming for that balanced diet and not, and really focusing on quality over quantity, you know, getting those nutrient dense foods, those, you know, fruits, those vegetables. I know it's, you know, everyone hears it all the time. We know, we know um, whole grains, lean proteins, healthy fats, you know, you don't have to deny yourself, but it is important to think about, you know, that whole picture. And also what Tracy said, really not thinking about cutting things out because all those macronutrients, all the carbohydrates, proteins, fats are all important to keep your body running and water and hydration is so important too. So taking a step back, you know, trying to be more mindful, listening to your body, you know, if you track, if you like tracking, if you like journaling, that has always seemed to be a very good way for people to like sustain weight loss, you know, like journaling and really keeping track has always helped people. But even if you're not looking for weight loss, you're just looking for health and you're dealing with, you know, headaches or skin conditions or something, tracking what you eat is a really good way 
seeing where you can make changes or like after you eat a certain meal that maybe is high in something, how that affects like how you feel later down in that couple hours or later in that day. I also, you know, want to mention there's a lot of kind of interesting research out there about like meal timing now and not necessarily, I'm not talking about intermittent fasting, but just really being aware of, of when you're eating and maybe trying not to eat so close to bedtime because there's a lot of, and if you're hungry, great, right? But we're just, you know, we're seeing research saying that, you know, the closer you eat to when you go to bed, it could impact, you know, if you have acid reflux or um, sleep disruptions, even some things with like blood glucose levels. So thinking about that nourishment, that power of food, how food can really impact so many different aspects of your life and your day and your health. And you don't have to make big changes, but I think just that awareness factor is will serve people so well. When we talk about food, dieting, focusing on what you eat, I hear a lot of talk and focus on the idea of getting more protein. Is that important? Is that a fad that people are trying to cash in on? Yeah, I think I think protein is on everybody's radar. I think it's something that everybody is buying into. And one of the things I know Rebecca already mentioned was focusing on balance and a, a balance of all of our macronutrients. So carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And it might surprise you, but we already, as an American society, get more than enough protein that we need. Protein certainly serves its advantages for helping repair and build muscle, replenish our body, support our immune system. So protein is definitely needed in our diet, but more does not necessarily mean better. And oftentimes when we look at increasing protein intake, it comes at the expense of cutting out one of those other macronutrients. And over the long term, that's not really servicing our bodies well. So getting adequate protein is ideal. Usually you can just, you know, think about getting one gram of protein per kilogram body weight is usually enough for most people. And most people on their average day get well more than that. I would just add that I think people don't think that they're getting enough protein because they automatically equate protein with animal protein or, you know, that chicken or that meaning that steak or these, you know, so thinking about protein that you're getting probably in, you know, a slice of whole wheat bread that you might be eating or that pasta protein is in many of the foods that we're commonly eating, even though you might not realize. And that's how we are getting probably enough of our protein needs. And also, I think the thinking about getting enough protein, but in that plant-based model is also a really good way to think about protein. It doesn't have to be that, that standard, you know, we need that, that steak every night, that you can get it in a variety of ways. We talked about weight bias, and you both mentioned how it is a focus in the classroom when you're dealing with the next generation of nursing students coming through and the importance of understanding it, recognizing it, avoiding it. But I also understand, like kind of beyond that, that you guys have actually been drilling down from a research standpoint. And Tracy, talk a little bit about what you guys are doing. 
Yes, weight bias has become an important emphasis in the College of Nursing at Villanova University. Since 2017, we have been incorporating different weight bias reduction interventions throughout the college, anywhere from the undergraduate level all the way through the nurse practitioner graduate programs. And some of the things that we focus on is working with various groups of students and conducting a a weight bias intervention with these these individuals. And what that essentially entails is asking students to become aware of some of the, what weight bias is essentially, where individuals experience it, what are some simple examples in healthcare where a nurse, for example, might be interacting with a patient where that patient may feel um, they are being discriminated against. And I'll just use a simple example of making sure you have the right size blood pressure cuff before getting a blood pressure on a patient or simply not weighing a patient in a public space, you know, a hallway, and then maybe calling out that weight where other individuals can hear. So we've been conducting interventions where we work with various groups of nursing students on these concepts, and we utilize self-assessment questionnaires where we get students to sort of react or increase their awareness of their own bias And we implement those at the beginning prior to the intervention and then after they've participated in an intervention throughout the entire semester. We also ask the students to report back or reflect upon where they might be seeing experiences of weight bias in their clinical setting. We've actually hired standardized patients that work in our simulation lab, and I'll define some of those terms. So standardized patients are basically trained actors, if you will, that act out to be a patient in a clinical setting. And we've actually hired individuals specifically who are living with obesity to help us teach nursing students how best to interact with them. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>